passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18. That makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind a Raw. It's John Pollock here, along with Wei Ting. And the question on everyone's mind is, which provider is presenting Wei Ting tonight? Well, you tell me, John, how do I sound right now? You have not broken up once. You sound very clear. So I'm going to imagine that you have come to a, hopefully, a resolution over this entire internet ordeal. I would say so. I'm very, and I'm quite proud of myself, in fact, because now I am. I mean, okay, some of these people listening to this probably aren't going to be aware of, of exactly where we are. But um, I just a long story short, I detailed all this on Friday on Rewind of SmackDown. I was supposed to have my fourth appointment with Rogers to install these cable extenders into my house. Not only did I have to wait another two hours, um. Not only did I have to go through three, four, even separate Rogers customer uh, service people after my two hours were concluded and I did not receive said service. Um, eventually, I did receive the service, but it was like they were like an hour and a half late. So in that time, I had had enough. I had had my fill of this whole thing and I made the call. I jumped, you know, I called my... Much like how, you know, I think we've seen uh, some um, jumping back and forth, John, I would say. Maybe some migration for people that that have been unhappy with their current contract status. In our, you, sl- uh, you slammed your modem down in the middle of the ring, and then with your fingers, you wrote out B-E-L-L <laughs> right into the hard cam. That's, <laughs> that, is, that is exactly right. I did that, yeah. And... But, uh, and I, I don't think anybody really got... Oh, well, I guess I got screwed. I guess you could say that. I, I was screwed for a long time by Rogers, and now I am officially Bell. Oh, my God. You made the jump. <laughs> I made the jump. Dude, that was like, what a... I thought about this all weekend. I was like, what, where is he going to land? Like, this was quite the reveal. I made the ding. Bell, wow. the bell. I hit the bell. I hit the bell. Okay? I rang the bell. I rang the bell, of course. I rang the bell, and now not only am I coming to you with crystal clear, consistent internet speed. I was supposed to have my 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 guy come in bright and early, ten a at eight a.m. today. You know when he showed up? Eight thirty. Bingo! Wow! Ding ding ding! Right on the bell, John. You got it. Eight thirty came in here. 
you know, put in a fiber line. Are you familiar with this technology, fiber, fiber optics? I, I, I had this explained to me when we moved into our house because it was something we were, Listen, we were contemplating. But it, go, go ahead and it's explain. Like, it's lasers and shit. You know, it's just – and I'm assuming uh, the internet travels way faster through laser than it does through cable. Okay. Sorry, you, you can't say that without doing the air quotes of Dr. Evil, I assume. Sure. Yes, yes, yes. Lasers. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm getting laser internet right now, John. And not only is, is, is my download speed fast, for our purposes, you know, doing this stuff via Skype, web streaming, my upload speed is just as fast as my download speed. That's the major advantage. So I'm very happy right now. All right. Well, Wei's trying to talk me into making the switch, so he's he's doing a very good job. Yeah, I don't work for Bell, everybody. Obviously, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I've heard bad stories, you know, with from Bell customer service as well. But th- thus far, I, I will say I've had a far better experience with them than I have Rogers on my first day. Well, I think this is going to end one of the great, I think, like three show sagas that we have ever had in the history of post wrestling. But my final question on the entire matter is: there was there any follow-up or a concluding conversation with a real friend of the program at this point, Doug. What What is up with Doug? Uh, I have not heard back from Doug. I I'm, I doubt I ever will. I think once you talk to one Rogers rep, uh, customer service rep, you'll probably never hear from them again. Um, it just gets lost, you know? We're all just numbers. We're all just ones and zeros in this digital Binary world. world. Yes, exactly. So I doubt I'll ever hear from Doug. I do have to make my cancellation call, though. I have to break up with Rogers. Ooh, so wow, that's still to come. It's <laughs> not you. Record it's, that. Yeah. Well, it's not. Yeah, it's not me. It's you, Rogers. Just end it with, "All right, thanks, Doug. Later." I hope I get Doug. That'd be great. Well, this is like. Um, Tonight's episode of Raw in Canada, it was quite the uh, – if you're like a, a TV nerd here in Canada, of course, WWE has their deal with, with Rogers for all their, their programming. But tonight on Rogers Sportsnet, they had to deal with Tom Phillips mentioning that we're at the Bell MTS place in Winnipeg. Perfect. Great. No wonder this Raw was so good. I bet you they had zero internet interruption. Everything was fast, including the count at the end. <laughs> yeah. His, uh, his down conversion was tremendous. All right. Uh, so congratulations on that. We're all very happy for you, Way. I'm, I'm glad to hear that there, uh, there was a light at the end of the tunnel, and it was a, a bell service rep. It was a laser. <laughs> it was a laser, as it turned out to be. Uh, what could go wrong, I guess, is the only question that comes out of it, that. The, the modem does say, don't look into the laser. Oh my or you God. could be blinded, so there's that. What? <laughs> the, the cable that comes into the modem has like a little sticker attached to it that says, do not look into it, or else you, you may get blind. Okay, well, that's a little frightening. Um, well, be careful about that. Don't, don't be blind. I, I definitely need your sight. Like, of all your senses, your sight is probably up there. To be honest, I've actually thought about this. Like, now that we do this as, as careers, I thought about, like, what debilitating injuries can i continue to do this job with and you know knock on wood okay we, we had if, to do this when we, when we went through our uh, as the two of us had to go through our insurance process 
I yeah. literally had to have this discussion about if like I ended up in a wheelchair and I yeah. was like thing is like yeah you and I could it be, would be really for my personal life that would be certainly would be very difficult yeah but for work wise like I could get by being in a wheelchair I think as I long pro- as I had my upper extremities if, like my if, arms my use of my hands if either of us became a par- paraplegic I think we would probably do the show that night like it wouldn't really change that much you'd still be able to watch I'd be, be able to type you know Getting up to upstairs would be difficult. I'd need help. losing your sight, uh, losing your hearing. Uh, I mean, hearing now in this day and age, I mean, you can really get uh, it, like hearing aids. Like, there's been such advancements in that um, in that technology. But sight, yeah, I, mean, cr- that- yeah, I mean, okay, you can. I we could be deaf, and I think we'd still do an okay job. Like, we there's closed captioning. You'd be able to keep up with the uh, at least the 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 in ring action. You wouldn't be able to hear the crowd, but I mean. How could I do this Come show on. with you? How could I do in this oh, yeah. present form right now? That would be kind of hard. It's true. Uh, I, we could do it through Skype or I, I'd, I'd do it in person. I'd learned how to read lips, you know, so it's manageable. I think I could do the show. <laughs> that, that's not the definition of manageable. That, is, that would be very uh, taxing. But sure, we can uh, we, 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 we would not throw in the towel at that point. We would we would try and work around uh, a, yeah. a left a left field. I, uh, problem. I think I could still do, do this show if I couldn't see, you know, because like we said, like so much of, I think pro wrestling is about listening to the audience, listening to the crowd and feeling the energy. Some like, I think, I think if I, if, if one of us, in fact, like Des, Des, a listener of ours who yep. is vision impaired, but like has contributed, I, I think so much to, I think, you know, the fandom, uh, at least, you know, w- within our community, like I, I, I would think that you, you know, I would still have an interesting insight to give to to the actual show, um, because I'd be able to like to be that much more in tune with like crowd reaction. I probably I wouldn't be able to do play by play, of course, but like talking about energy and maybe like how a promo sounds, I think I could still do it. But I couldn't do a show if I couldn't speak. Like if I was mute, if I lost my voice, that would yeah. be the most debilitating one. Yeah, that would be. That would be game over at that point for uh, for this show, unless you had. I mean, you could get a voice box. Does that work? Can that give you speech? I mean, I, I would imagine that it would be very difficult on the on the listener. I mean, that would be quite an. Adjustment. You don't know want. I guess I would do speech to, to text. I would just like you know, like do like a Stephen Hawking type of thing. Well, I, I greatly value your voice, so I hope that it's uh, preserved. I hope you don't ever take, like, like why uh, anyone takes those Tomohiro Ishii chops to the throat. I, I really don't understand those. That, to me, is just somebody is asking for an awful injury to come out of that. They'll clearly never be podcasters in the future. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you damage that trachea. It's... Like you need to have a voice that someone wants to allow into their ears on a semi-frequent basis. I would hope that our voices are at at worst tolerable, and at best um, not intrusive. But to me, uh, if I sounded like all gargly and stuff, I'd, I I don't know how people put up with me now. So if I was adding that on top of things, I think that's a big ask of a listener. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I I could see that. Have you tried it to improve your voice at all? Like make it sound better? I I'm very accepting of this is my voice. I don't know how I could improve it. 
I, I don't mind my voice too much. I don't like listening to myself unless it's at a, a different speed. That's when I will go back and listen to stuff we do is uh, at an advanced speed. But in real time, I, I, I'm more comfortable with my voice than I was at a different time where I just was – I hated, hated listening to myself. I think most people hate their own voices. Like I bet you even Mariah Carey hates her own voice. Maybe not. Maybe, Maybe not. on that New Year's Eve she did. Yeah. But it's understandable. Coming up this week, if you enjoy our voices, uh, we're going to be speaking for a long time on Tuesday night because it's the return of the Ask Away Mailbag Show. This will be a show for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. All levels will get this show. Tuesday night, it's our February Mailbag. And I understand that we have lots of letters in the bag, Mr. Ting. We have a lot. Yeah, I'm surprised. Well, actually. you said that with a big emphasis on lot. Yeah, so we do have this a is going to be a long one, isn't it? I think it will be, and I don't know why. I don't know if it's just the new year or what, but a lot of you guys have a lot of questions. So, um, I guess I'm amazed. I thought I thought the show would run its course by like six months. Like, what would people possibly have to ask us after six months? And here we are. It's been like 26 months. It's always questions, man. People just oh. uh, love to ask. They love to ask away, and you know what though? There's there, you know, asking on a message board is cool. But what if somebody wanted to ask in person? What do you mean? Just come up to me and ask a question? Come up to you, perhaps in a in a setting where we would be selling tickets to uh, John. Um, they can go up to a microphone and possibly ask us the question. Where would somebody go? What information would somebody need if they wanted to do that? Well, I would say that the odds of that happening would be the equivalent of uh, lightning striking twice. And everyone knows the home of the lightning is in Tampa, which is where our next Q&A is going to be Jesus. taking place. So for all of you out there that would like to come and experience a live Q&A, because you never know when our voices might disappear. So this could be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, or at least one that you never know if we'd have another Q&A after this. It is true. Like, John, I don't know if we'll be doing this again next year. It's like, it's a lot of work to put, to, to book these things. And thank you to, to our friend Robert Pearson for helping uh, produce this one. But yeah, it's a lot of work. And we don't know if we'll have Robert next year. So it's, you know, so thank you, John. Thank you for uh, very smoothly uh, uh, fitting that plug in there. But also, what if somebody didn't just want to ask a question? What if they wanted to have lunch with us? Well, that would be a wonderful reason to get a VIP ticket to our post-wrestling live in Tampa show because a VIP ticket will get you lunch, which, number one, it's going to be a fantastic meal. Number two, uh, you'll get to do it with all of us. Like, what better way to – this is one time I'm not going to mind if people eat and talk to me at the same time. You, you would prefer it. Like, you'd prefer people didn't finish their food. Mouthful of food at talking to John right in his ear. Yeah. What, what could be better? So we're going to have a, a lunch with all the VIP uh, ticket holders. Then we've got the, the Q and a portion that you will all get to uh, sit down, check out. We've got a commemorative post wrestling live in Tampa t-shirt. Uh, the design of which I think looks very cool. It looks very, amazing. 
like very thematic for this pirate themed edition of WrestleMania. Yeah, yeah. And again, that's all the work of Robert Pearson, who's designed all of our live Q&A shirts. So add this one to your collection if you're lucky enough to get the others. And if you're not, um, start a collection because this shirt is awesome. And not only. OK, so that's all all that stuff. You get the shirt, you get the lunch, you get, uh, 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 you know, uh, questions with us. You also get a free parking space. OK, that's for the VIP. But let's say you're somebody, John, who just wanted a shirt and a parking space. You know, you like are you- one of those people that somehow has heard about our show and you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I'm going to WrestleMania. There's a great deal on parking because these two guys are doing a podcast. I have no interest in listening to those two guys talk, but goddamn that parking spot, that's really enticing. This t-shirt, I'll find something to do with this t-shirt. Well, you know what? You can cut out us from the equation. You can get a package that comes, you get your shirt, you get your parking spot. Someone has bought this this particular uh, ticket, so wow. it is out there. Okay, uh, <laughs> awesome. Of yeah. all the tickets we have sold, one went to this level. So we are giving you that option. I'm imagining most are going to want to come to the Q&A. Uh, so we have regular tickets. All all of the tickets come with the post meet and greet as well. So if you want to uh, chat with us after the show. Oh, except photo, for the t-shirt one. Except for the t-shirt one. Yeah, well, you they're all- not going to be there anyway. So I don't think we have to enforce that. Yeah, you'll be sitting in the parking lot. Your free parking spot. So, um, But you'll get a t-shirt. So if you want to do that, you can. All of the information is up at postwrestling.com slash live. Uh, we had a good first week, week uh, of sales. So thank you to all of you that have uh, bought tickets uh, already. Uh, a strong number that are coming to this. Tickets are still available, though, if you would like to join us. And in all seriousness, these are always really fun shows to do. We have done a number of them now. Uh, we were in New York last year, uh, as well as Toronto. We did two shows last year. So this should be a lot of fun in Tampa. Yes, I guarantee it. Well, right. yeah. So that will be the uh, the live version of Ask Away, and you can get a preview of it Tuesday night if you are a cafe member. Wednesday night, um, also on Tuesday, uh, Andrew Thompson is going to have an interview up on the site with PJ Black, the former Justin Gabriel of Ring of Honor. He is uh, he recently spoke to Andrew, so look out for that interview on the website. Wednesday, we've got our regular shows with Rewind to Dynamite. Wednesday night, your chance, if you're a cafe member, to win an item from the post-wrestling store. We'll be doing that draw at the beginning of the show. And uh, if uh, time permitting, uh, we will chat about the latest uh, Ruthless Aggression episode. Um, If Way has a chance to watch the I'm a Babyface edition of Ruthless Aggression. And we will see if Way gets that joke or not by Wednesday. As well, Brayden and Davey will have a new edition of Up Next on Wednesday, chatting uh, the episode that will feature Charlotte Flair against Bianca Belair. Then Thursday, it's a special start time for the Cafe Hangout. We're going to be going live for all patrons at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, this is because the Super Showdown event is, uh, they have bumped us out of our regular time slot. So we're going to go live later that evening. And Mike Murray will also join us. So we'll do a full rundown of Super Showdown and then open up the phone lines, go through any news items. And, uh, and we can also chat about Revolution that night. So. A fun edition of the Cafe Hangout on Thursday night with our good pal, Mike Murray. Always looking forward to having Mike around, but um, I don't know. Not really, never really looking forward to these shows in Saudi Arabia. Um, But nonetheless, I'm sure there will be plenty to talk about after it's done. Yes. Uh, Friday, we've got, uh, actually, 
Rewind to SmackDown this week. It's going to be up Saturday morning, so you can look out for that. Uh, it will not be up Friday night, but we will have it out Saturday morning. Uh, so that means we'll have two shows out Saturday uh, because Saturday night, Way and I will be going live right after AEW Revolution. Uh, you can tune in live if you are a double-double ice cap or espresso member of the cafe, and we'll also be taking phone calls on that show. And then the show, the week rounds out with WH Park joined by uh, – by It's uh, thunderstruck on Sunday, everybody. <laughs> Sorry, my I, internet cut out. My, okay. My, did Did you hear me say the name? <laughs> you know, John. I mean, maybe it's time for you to ring the bell, because if you did, I think you would be well aware that the person that would be joining WH this week would be, like I said, Mike Spears. Did you not hear me say the uh, name? Yeah, of course. Yes, I did hear. It. And they'll be talking about Jushin Lager versus Shima. From April of 2000. We're talking about a 20-year-old match uh, between Jushin Liger and Shima. Two men that have had wrestling matches in 2020. Amazing. So uh, lots of great stuff to look out for uh, this coming week at postwrestling.com. And if you want to join the Post Wrestling Cafe, it's simple. Postwrestlingcafe.com, which all members get $5 off their tickets for the live show in Tampa. Including uh, the, the parking t-shirt one. Oh, my God. So there you go. Uh, lots, lots of great stuff to, uh, to be a member for and get tons of perks. Not the least of which is getting to hear Way's uh, wonderful voice live in person. Yeah. Okay. We're doing a bit of a different format, uh, for tonight's show. Uh, there's not a whole lot of news. So at the end of our raw review, we'll go through the feedback and then we're going to chat a little bit about the WWE network. Uh, Monday was the sixth anniversary since the network launched and we were going to look at, the highs and lows of the WWE network and how it has uh, changed the the company's business and some of the questions moving forward of the future of the network. Uh, so we're going to look at that at the end of the show. And we also got some feedback as well to people on the network uh, six years in. Really, the only news items uh, I've got here, AEW on Monday night announced the addition of Nyla Rose against Chris Statlander for Revolution on Saturday night in Chicago, that'll be for the AEW women's title and the Capital One Center in Washington, D.C. They're hosting Raw in two weeks time on March the 9th. And they did put out a tweet on Monday night advertising that Edge will be on the show in two weeks to give an update on his health. So uh, sometimes you take the local advertising with a grain of salt, but that seems to be a pretty significant name to be advertising ahead of time that there would seem to be credence to that, that you would expect Edge to be back in two weeks. And timing-wise, way that would sound about the time you would want to have Edge back, which would be the night after Elimination Chamber to start the big push for WrestleMania. Yeah, that would be about four, four and a half weeks out before WrestleMania. That seems like the right time for, for Edge to come back and really build this, this storyline up. So um, it's almost something that I feel like they could have announced tonight proper. Well, it sounds like next week they're going to have Beth Phoenix on the show for an update. And I would imagine Orton's got to do something that necessitates Edge coming back the week after. So mm, it looks right. like they want to get this Beth appearance out first. And and then that should set up Edge the following week. Maybe Beth, the big announcement at the end of her segment is that he'll be here himself next week on Raw or something like that. Yes, yes. All right, let's get into tonight's show, which, as we mentioned, from the aforementioned Bell MTS Place 
in Winnipeg, Manitoba. This was the first episode of Raw in the city of Winnipeg since July of 2004. And, Wade, do you want to hear the results from that night's episode of Raw? Of course. Yeah. Why not? Just imagine this. La Resistance, Sylvan Grenier and Rob Conway over Rhino and Val Venus to retain the world tag titles. Batista and Kane fighting to a no contest. In Winnipeg, Randy Orton defeats Chris Jericho to retain the Intercontinental title. Of course. Yeah. Nidia over Molly Holly and Victoria in a number one contender's contract on a pole match. Uh, Trish Stratus pinned Nidia in three seconds to retain the women's title. And in the main event in Canada, Triple H, Ric Flair, and Eugene defeat Chris Benoit and Edge. Okay. Yeah. Cool. More importantly, this was the episode that featured the famous uh, musical chairs segment. Remind do you me. Remember, do you remember this? This was where uh, they had Ric Flair doing like the greatest performance of his career, having to play oh. musical chairs. Yes. And I mean, this was the stupidest segment of all time, but Ric Flair was just awesome in this. Um, yeah, I don't, I barely remember the segment, but I can imagine. I feel like Ric Flair playing any sort of game would be fun. Like him doing well, Twister, uh, I don't know. Uh, charades, Pictionary, headbands. I think he'd be great. <laughs> All you're, you're giving them so many great ideas uh, for potential returns to Canada for some great ideas of segments. So anyway, and that Raw did get referenced in this opening promo because we had Randy Orton come out and my God, this entrance I thought was the first hour of Raw. So I, I, I definitely watched this one on a delay so I could speed through the entrances and it sounds like um, I made the right choice. At the same time, though, tell me what the live experience was like. I mean, it was long. It was drawn out. Um, he had to do two of these on this show. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I mean, if this guy isn't working with a Fitbit, then he's really not capitalizing because, man, the... Uh, the, the steps taken are uh, he steps he takes the same amount of steps he just does them really slow. He's just he's got the Randy Orton pace of just taking his time. Uh, but I mean, man, this guy's so over at the moment. Like they're and this audience tonight, man, they were great. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if if what this and Vancouver have shown, it's that WWE should be running Canada more than once every fifteen years. And it's not just uh, maybe twice a, every fifteen years. It's not just a vocal crowd; it's also some big crowds. Like they did over fourteen thousand in Vancouver tonight. Was over eleven thousand, I believe, for Winnipeg. So, I mean, they've. Um, hey, the, so so Winnipeg is worth mentioning. Winnipeg was Everett was not. Yes. So is the difference like you have to have like a major league hockey team? Or, or I don't. Some sort I don't know what the team? cutoff is. Um, Maybe that's it. I, I think it's ultimately down to, uh, I've never heard of this place. We're, we booked where? <laughs> Everett? Everett? So Orton says he needs to apologize. His emotions have become unbalanced and mentions it's been 15 years since Raw has been to Winnipeg. And back then, he would have been 24. And he says that thanks to the internet... So you know Randy Orton was on cage match today. Oh, for sure. Yeah. He he was IC champion on that show. 
And he was punched in the face on that show by a man named Adam, who everyone calls Edge. And there, he there, says there were a lot of Jericho chants prior to this, too, obviously due to the result that you just read. Yeah, I imagine that there were, I mean, I guess some of these fans could remember that match from 15 years ago. Um, yeah, I, I did not until looking this up, but I guess if you're. If you haven't, I mean, they've done plenty of house shows in Winnipeg, but if this was, you haven't done Raw, some of these fans probably went to that show and therefore probably remember. Yeah, remember the night they, they beat our hometown guy clean? I think we all have one of those stories. Anybody oh, who's been to a WWE show. Maybe that's Vince's, uh, moment. it was like, ah, we could, we could have put him over. That would have been a nice celebratory moment. But, but what really, you really remember 15 years ago is anger. That's what you're going to hold on to. It's going to be a long-term build, okay? I mean, I, they didn't even get it here tonight. Well, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, a, it's <laughs> it's a 30 be years year, from now. It's a 30-year build to finally getting a home, home country win, a Canadian I mean, winning in Winnipeg. Fif- 15 years from now, Jericho will be 64. Yeah. I, I could see him doing a wrestling match at 64. At this rate, yeah, I could see it. He'd probably be in Japan. Uh, hey, so, so okay, so the match was against Jericho, but the angle was with Edge. Yes, yeah, they were in the midst of uh, feuding, the two of them. So he gets interrupted by Kevin Owens, and Jerry Lawler gets to dust off his Bizarro Land reference, which you only mentioned once on the, on the show. Is all of Canada Bizarro Land? I guess so. It's been Toronto has lent it to the entire country, which was funny because this was a term that they was their go to when Toronto would uh, start, you know, cheering the heels, booing the baby faces. And then in time, as they got into the Cena era, it was just it's it's bizarre world essentially was uh, every town that they would go to. So then who's really the bizarre one? It just means Toronto, I think, was a. Ahead of the curve. So they're chanting for Kevin Owens. He's super popular here. And he says he's been dealing with a lot of delusional people like the Monday night moron, Seth Rollins. But he has an issue with Randy because he doesn't think he meant his apology. He said that Matt Hardy tried to get an answer. He failed. So now I'm asking why you did this to Edge. And Owens mentions that when Edge retired, he watched that night And he was already a wrestler, grinding it out on the indies. And he looked up to Edge, wanting to wrestle him one day. So he was really upset when he had to retire. And there he was, Kevin Owens, backstage, waiting to enter the Rumble, watching Edge come out and watching like a fan that night because he knew how much it meant to Edge. And the next night, Randy took it all away from him. Uh, I thought it a tremendous uh, promo here from Kevin Owens. Yes, I completely agree. Very good segment here. Uh, you have the top heel in the building opposing the top baby face in the building. I think, you know, you can always rely on the Canadian card anytime you're in any Canadian city. The loyalty here is very strong with both Edge and Owens, surefire, surefire baby faces. Um, we don't have many, you know? Can- Canada is wrestling's largest hometown. Yes, that's right. There aren't many of us out there. So we, it doesn't matter if you're from like, uh, you know, uh, New Brunswick, you could be from Sarnia, you could be from like Iqaluit, you know, like you'll get a hometown reaction no matter where you are. If you're, if you have a Canadian passport. 
Yes, Canada's own Kevin Owens ended his promo, and Randy responded by saying, you think you know me? <laughs> hmm. Owens ends up challenging him to a fight. The place goes wild, and Orton agrees, but not right now, and he leaves. So that would be the main event. Um, again, uh, Randy Orton, his segments have just been delivering ever since the Edge program began. This was no exception. Really hot start to the show because you had a rabid fan base that had uh, – a strong baby face to get behind and it kind of set up the, the tone for the show and a strong heel to hate because yep. he attacked a beloved Canadian. So I thought this worked really well. It was really smart pairing Owens with Orton here just for this one night because it worked. It helped both programs. And I thought Owens promo was fantastic. He played the voice of every fan and spoke with so much, such conviction that I would say like what he said about edge didn't really feel like a promo. It felt like he was just speaking as himself and speaking his true feelings, whether or not they were true or not. But it sounded true and it sounded very believable. Yes. Yeah. It just sounded like very less promo and more so just, I mean, feeling like there was conviction behind this, I think, which is what everyone desires out of these kinds of segments. Conversely, we had Charlie in the back with Zelina Vega and Angel Garza. And Charlie said that last week they were identified as the hottest couple of people in WWE and that it's only a business relationship these two share. God. A Zelina says that Angel Garza is a man's man and must put his cousin Dimples Carrillo in his place. And at the end of this, the ladies man kisses Charlie's hand and she is all smitten with Angel Garza as she acts like a 14 year old. That's just, uh, met a boy for the first time you know they're really like hitting hinting at this like clear they're, they're going you know above and beyond to clarify that there is no romantic or sexual relationship going on between angel garza and Zelina. that i mean you know the implication is that they're for sure going to at least tease some something between these two and so um you know those always turn out great of course you know, they've been batting a thousand with uh, WWE romances over the past uh, couple of years. So I'm sure that'll be awesome. Um, so I'm assuming Andrade will play a role in, in this somehow. Um, I don't. But they never they it. never had a romantic link between Andrade and Vega. So I think that's a key part of this that. Then where's it, the drama? That's what I'm asking. I don't think there is any here of who cares if these two have a romantic relationship or not. It's not as though well, his fiance, I think, would care and probably her husband, too. But that hasn't been acknowledged. Uh, none of those things exist, even though one was clearly shown on, on, on WWE television. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, like Garza just, you know, is playing this kind of archetypical ladies man. Uh, I think it's something, you know, he it's it's a character that works for him and, he, and he's. He's make, he's creating an, an an identity for himself. Charlie just had to play such a geek here. Sure, yeah. Angel Garza, Umberto Carrillo. Uh, they started off. Um, they did this awesome spot where they had their legs tied up as they balanced on their heads while they were mm -hmm. trading, and the crowd was like, "This looks super cool." It was a headstand slap fight. Yes. Um, I've had many of these Lawler mentions, um, you know, the relationship between, uh, um, um, these two as cousins 
And Lawler says, I've got a cousin, and he's a total waste of skin. (laughs) (laughs) Had to really dig down deep just to insult a family member here. Poor poor Wayne. Uh, The pants come off of Garza, and then we get a flying arm drag from Carrillo that sends Garza to the floor. And then Carrillo does a headstand on the apron, but Garza super kicks him in the chest. They trade kicks on the apron. Both go down. Carrillo's in his guard on the apron. And then Garza does a moonsault off the buckle. Uh, This uh, prompts them to go to their second commercial break of the match. And then Garza hits a one-man Spanish fly from the top. They do the fish out of water, two counts. And then a wheelbarrow by Carrillo is blocked as Garza sits down, grabbing hold of the, the belt and tights of Carrillo's pants and pins him at 14 minutes and 42 seconds. I thought a very good match. From what we could see, you know, uh, I'm sure this was much better live without the flow being interrupted by commercials. But I mean, that's, you know, that's TV wrestling for you, unfortunately. But we had what, three segments of this? So, yeah, I mean, we had, you know, almost 15 minutes and, you know, you lose like six due to commercial. Yeah, I I, I think you're going to see a series of this match, maybe on on kickoffs, but across TV. I don't know if it's a match that's exactly hot enough right now to make a difference to a pay-per-view. But I think as a series of hot go-to matches on TV, it'll really improve the in-ring quality of Raw. Well, here's the interesting question is Andrade's suspension is up this week. He's on the Super Showdown card, and they've announced next week that Andrade is teaming with Garza against Umberto and the returning Rey Mysterio. So they it's not just a case of Andrade's back and Garza is shifted back to NXT. It looks at least next week he's back. Yeah, I don't think they'd be investing this much story or in character promo time really into him if if they were just going to have him here for a few weeks and then, you know, to be thrown back to NXT. So uh, I think we're getting some sort of love triangle thing. Then you got the, the match you'd been clamoring for, Way. It was time for Ricochet versus Luke Gallows. Yes, of course, yes. Uh the the match that I think was going to um, skyrocket Ricochet to the heights of a uh, contendership. In yes, everybody's the, eyes. the singles match New Japan never gave us. Ricochet did a dive to the floor. Um, Heyman was shown watching backstage. Uh, Ricochet did a reverse cross body, standing shooting star for a two count. Uh, Gallows had the heat for a while until Ricochet hit the recoil and launched himself off the top into the middle of the ring with a shooting star press and won the match and prompted Tom Phillips to yell, Billy Kidman, eat your heart out. Huh. And the shooting star presses are way better these days. I will say, though, this <laughs> I am not expecting much in this uh, this Brock Lesnar uh, demolition on Thursday because tonight. Oh, it yeah. didn't even seem like this was this was not even a priority. They did not even interact on this show. Well, absolutely not. He got no promo time. I mean, and I understand why you don't give Ricochet promo time. It's not necessarily beneficial. But at the same time, how about a video? You know, some sort of like something to tell me that I should take this guy seriously as a contender. And clearly, I think they've given up on that. So I would say coming off of this very impressive defeat of Luke Gallows, I don't think Ricochet comes across as any more... Um, I think, I don't know, um, believable as a contender, but I feel like at the very least you could have achieved a lot more here. I think the reason why you would pair Ricochet with Luke Gallows is because Ricochet or Gallows is a big guy, right? 
So I, I feel like if Gallows is meant to be as some sort of stand-in for Brock Lesnar to like inspire the audience to feel a bit more confident about Ricochet's chances, I think they could have had Gallows do a few more of Brock kind of like stylistic things, you know, maybe a few suplexes. Something to remind you that this guy is fighting a stand-in for Brock Lesnar and that if whatever Ricochet is able to do to Luke Gallows, he'll be able to do to Brock Lesnar. But we got none of that. We just got a straight-up Luke Gallows-Ricochet match as if it were, you know it took place on main event. So, it, it you know, they didn't even emphasize, I would say, like, Ricochet, like, getting around Brock's or, or Gallows' size that much, in my opinion. At least not enough to, for me to, like, be able to picture him doing the same to Brock Lesnar. It just, I think there, that, that in itself, I thought was a bit of a missed opportunity. Yeah, his F5 stands for Festus. Yes, this is uh, the fake Kane, not not fake Brock. So um, <laughs> a fake I, Brock, I would love to see fake Brock on um, some of those like UK uh, tribute shows. Um, <laughs> I really think it's it's more a case of why build up Ricochet to a degree that it's just going to be disappointing for Thursday. Like I think then they're getting put six him in minutes the match at all because he's a placeholder. I mean, you could that's have had all I feel this a- is. I think that's such a waste because I think Ricochet is somebody you could seriously see as a contender. At least I could. Okay. I don't think based on like, I'm not saying in the grand scheme of things, he's not, but based on this last year, I mean, what tells you that they see him at at that level other than just being a, a placeholder challenger that will probably get, you know, a flurry on Brock Lesnar and maybe, my my only question about this match is if Brock has the capacity to catch this guy off the top doing a shooting star. I don't know if he could catch him. That might be too ambitious to set up the F5. Maybe a 630. No way. No way. <laughs> that that would be too harmful. Um, yeah. I think this is going to be six minutes of Brock just being overwhelmed temporarily and then boom, F5, it's over. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the only question is how much Ricochet can get in it if you can, if they'll even use... Uh, even if he gets a near fall, will they use that to tell Ricochet's story coming out of it? Will Ricochet gain anything from this program with Brock Lesnar? That's the yeah, bigger and, question. And if Ricochet gets something meaningful for WrestleMania coming out of this, I guess is the next question as well, because he's only been kind of attached to Brock. He doesn't really have anything else going on. Yeah. AJ is with the OC. He's upset backstage after Gallo's lost and said a miracle could happen. Ricochet could beat Lesnar. And AJ says, well, then I'll win the title after I win the gauntlet match. And Aleister Black just gingerly walks by, and AJ stops him, saying that he thinks he owns the place after a few wins. And AJ, in the least believable delivery, you could imagine someone in a in a street situation delivering to another individual just rattled off their catchphrase. Uh, Which is what? Oh, God. The the original, the only club that matters <laughs> tagline. It's quite the, the memorable catchphrase. Uh, what is it? The original, the only? The only, the original, the only club that matters. There's another one in there. The. It's a terrible obvious catchphrase. Club? The, the obvious club. The, um. The on, uh, on, the off, the on, the own. What the fuck is it? The you're own. really gonna make us look this <laughs> we up. We have aren't to. You? We have to get this. The own. 
The official, the original, the only club that matters. Yes, okay. Thank you. Yes. Which, if you are ever in a situation in a street fight, do not use those words to another individual because you'll get popped in the face before you even get the second syllable out. So they just beat the shit out of Aleister Black. He was just thrown up against the door. I guess there was some poetic justice here that he was left for dead outside of a room. Yeah, I guess so. He should have stayed in. Clearly. This is what happens when you venture out of your natural environment. Well, I like this. I think, you know, it's a step in the right direction for both groups because the OC, for all the trash talk that they do, it's nice to see them finally being portrayed as bullies, you know, using their, their size advantage or numbers advantage to pick fights with innocent people, which is, I think, what a gang should do. And finally, I think you have Aleister Black facing an actual heel threat. You know, and actually overcoming odds. It seems like they've had a shift in, in, in direction with Aleister Black. Whereas I think in the past, it's, I mean, really, he hasn't been doing anything for like the better part of a year. But it seemed like they were kind of portraying him as just this very infallible guy who, you know, squashes people. But over the past couple of weeks, they, I feel like they've kind of come to realize that the key to making him relatable to an audience is to show him um, suffer. And have him get beaten up, whether or at least face a, a, a an opponent such as an Eric Rowan, or in this case, facing a a, a heel tandem and getting picked on as, as an innocent guy like the OC. I don't have too many concerns about AJ and Undertaker having a, a good match. I don't know if it's going to be spectacular, but it. it I, I don't really have any concerns about that. But in terms of getting my best value out of an Undertaker match, I think there's a hell of an argument to attaching Aleister Black to The Undertaker and taking on these three. Did you say that last week? I don't think so. I meant Taker and AJ. Taker and AJ. What are, what are we talking about? I'm saying what, like that. Isn't that what you said just now? I'm saying, yeah, AJ versus Undertaker at WrestleMania as yeah. it stands. Oh, okay. Like that match, it, it's fine as it is, but you could argue that a better direction is doing like a handicap match and having Aleister Black attached with The Undertaker. No, I don't like that. I don't you don't know. like that? I don't like handicap matches at WrestleMania. I don't, I don't like handicap matches, period. And how does that help Aleister Black to have The Undertaker, this god, in his corner? Against because AJ it's Black that, Black that gets, you know, the endorsement of The Undertaker. Black gets the win for the but two. But it's a them. handicap. So, so did you? Oh, you, it, you it's three, three on, two, on two. Three on two for the heels. Oh, okay. I don't know. There's something there's something just more classic about seeing like a one-on-one dream match scenario AJ Styles versus The Undertaker for a WrestleMania. I, un- I understand that. It's just, you know, Undertaker beating AJ, it's fine for the night, but to me it's like it's it goes against the whole kind of thesis of Raw at the moment that is we know we're trying to create stars and you know, WrestleMania comes and we kind of pause that for one night and there mm-hmm. isn't a whole lot of value beyond that, you know, the pop that Undertaker gets. Sometimes I think it's it's fine to sacrifice that though for just like a big show. Like so, big sometimes match. it is, and and I think they're going to have a very good match together. Um, I I just I hope Aleister Black. I would assume he's figured into something, and you know he may be one of those guys that ends up in the battle royal this year, and he can win that. I mean, it's not the worst thing, but it's not the best thing either. Uh, I, Alistair Black versus AJ Styles is the match I, I'm really looking forward to. I, I'm almost a little disappointed we're not going to get a bigger build towards it and we're just going to get it on TV next week. 
Yeah, I thought they might just throw that on the Chamber show. Like, um, give it give it yeah. two weeks to build that up. And maybe they could do that. They could do a, a yeah. screwy finish next week. And they, because next week, this is the, this has to be the first time this has ever happened. Back to back Raws that are go home shows. Oh my God. Yeah, you're right. Well, I'm sure it's happened before, right? Like during a prior Saudi Arabia show. Um, I don't think they've had a one where they've had the pay per view the following weekend after a Saudi Arabia show. There's always been oh. a gap. Okay. So next week is our one Raw that they have to build up Elimination Chamber. Yeah, wow. Who do you Rock think wins next week? Or do we with, get a winner? AJ and uh, Aleister Black. I think we get some involvement with the OC, and I think they're just going to set something up for the pay-per-view. That would be my guess. You know, after this week's main event, I'm, I'm curious to see how they get out of this one. <laughs> well, we will see. Brock and Heyman come out, and they keep promoting this Thursday's match as a mandatory title defense by Brock to kind of explain why this match is happening. So um, he had to make this defense. Lesnar is incredibly over to this crowd in Winnipeg. They know the man's Canadian roots. Pretty much, yeah. He's only from a province over. Yeah, Canada's own Brock Lesnar. If hey, if Owens <laughs> is going to get that that billing, then I think it's only fair that, that Brock, I mean, he's, he's Canadian by extension. He was billed as Canadian for the UFC. The didn't, only, didn't the he only wear? people that don't recognize him as Canadian was, was the UFC PR staff. When I tried to uh, wrangle them into giving us a Canadian outlet, uh, an interview with the Canadian fighter. Then he doesn't belong to any nation. Yeah. Then he was uh, a man with no country. Heyman explains that Brock is not someone that needs a catchphrase. As he is st- standing there with his Suplex City shirt on. <laughs> I mean, th- this is a guy that has a litany of damn catchphrases. He reigns as your champion and explains that when Lesnar destroys someone, it doesn't happen often. So it's a special event. Lesnar owes Ricochet one after that uppercut he delivered to him at the Rumble. And it's going to be more special this Thursday for a Lesnar match. And he works in an insult on Canada. And says if Ricochet pulls off the miracle, then it will be Ricochet headlining WrestleMania against Drew McIntyre. A premise he had to say with a straight face. He said, if Ricochet beats Brock. Well, if my aunt had balls, she'd be my uncle, but she doesn't, so she's not. And Brock thought this was hysterical. The announcers were dying. Jerry Lawler just breaks in and says, that was awesome. Uh, Heyman has only been wrong on one spoiler in the last eight years. And he says at WrestleMania, Lesnar will make mince meat out of Drew McIntyre, which he literally will not do. F5. Which one was he wrong about? He was wrong about Brock winning the Rumble. Oh, wow. So we, for the first time, we had one uh, spoiler that didn't come true. Yeah. Wow. Um. I think that was the only one. And he will be done with Drew McIntyre. And Lesnar just cut, walks up the ramp, holds up the title over the announcer's desk. I'm waiting for Ricochet to come out. Nothing. <laughs> nothing with Ricochet. Oh, this was God. like just, this dude is the monster champion. He's more popular than Ricochet in Winnipeg by far. And man, I just, I thought this promo was great. I thought Heyman was awesome, but... The build for this match just blows for Thursday. Oh, yeah. Like, I I mean, I think at the very least, I could have told the story of people completely neglecting Ricochet, much like they tried to do with Bianca Belair. 
on NXT. And look at all the value Bianca Belair got out of that program. She that you know was she was very much placed in a similar situation as uh, Ricochet here. But Ricochet is totally forgettable. I mean, I I think what we can tell from like a promo like this is that the story of the match is that this match, regardless of who Brock's opponent is, stands as the final obstacle in the fans' way of seeing Brock Lesnar versus Drew McIntyre at WrestleMania, which is a match that I think they're conditioning us to want to see. Forget Ricochet, forget anybody else that stands in Brock's way. That's what we have to look forward to. And Thursday is just the thing Brock has to, you know, get through in order to get there. It's like a chore you have, you know what I mean? Like you're you're going out with friends tonight, but you got to go pick up the laundry first. And it's, you know, it's rush hour and it's across town. Yeah, beat Ricochet, go to the DMV, do my groceries. So you're, you're comparing, comparing Ricochet to Bianca Belair, and I'm just imagining Ricochet crashing this segment saying, oh, you're hardly even around here. It's like, you don't even go here, Brock. Could you imagine him trying to do that Bianca promo on Charlotte? I think that feud would be awesome. Bianca oh. Belair versus Brock Lesnar? Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. I was just saying Ricochet taking Bianca's promo, but yeah, oh. just insert Bianca. Yeah. I think she'd she'd get more value. That's where we got to go for for Brock next. It's like uh, intergender program. I think we're a few decades away from that. After uh, watching that PWG show that we're going to review in a few weeks, uh, Brock Lesnar. I I got ahead. This weekend was like wow. there was nothing going on, and I was not. Uh, I, I got to use my time wisely. So I watched yeah, the whole thing. Uh, Brock Lesnar versus Candice LeRae. That's my new match. I want to see before either retires. Okay, well, good luck. Alistair Black is limping backstage. The guy's a mess, but amazingly, no one's uh, stopping him from having his match. Eric Rowan versus Alistair Black. Black just staggers out, so Rowan has the advantage. He's beating him down, but then Black pulls down the rope, and Rowan flies down. What, what, comes- what I loved is that, like, despite Black being, like, just, you know, he had to, he suffered a gang beating, okay, at the hands of... And the feet of three people. So he's limping out. He's hurt. Yet he still. Oh, he still had to do his stupid seated pose in the middle of the ring. I wrote that down. So ridiculous. That he just puts himself prone in front of this monster, Rowan, to destroy him. Uh, Not only that, but it's like if I had a broken rib and if I was like just like digging deep within my, my soul to gut out a performance, to get out there, to compete in a physical like comp comp competition. In fighting somebody i feel like the last thing on my mind would be to complete like every step of my like dance routine you know as i entered the ring um it's just something that i didn't think was necessary when the guy was selling his injury did he have to do every step of that entrance yeah that was uh to me i i noted that as well it looked very silly in the context of what they were trying to um uh, do here with alistair black so Black gets thrown into the timekeeper's area. Then he fights back with his kicks, knee strikes, a cabrata, then a flying knee strike. He tries to lift Rowan but uh, to set up for the Black Mass, but instead Rowan grabs the leg, goes to the iron claw. It's avoided. He hits a jackhammer for a two count, and then Rowan runs at Alistair Black, misses, and knocks the cage off of the steps, the mysterious cage with uh, who knows what inside of it. And Rowan attacks him, Power bombs 
black into the post and then he puts the cage back onto the steps. We don't see what's in it and he apologizes to the mysterious contents of this cage. Beats the count into the ring but then runs right into a black mass. Black hits a second one and wins the match in 1048. You know, despite what I think we would have thought, or what I thought about the cross, cross-legged sitting, I thought this ended up being an excellent match for both men. Um, I think the handicap made Black really feel like uh, an underdog here and gave him another big come-from-behind performance more than even last week's match with Rowan. I love how they structured this for Aleister Black. Not only did he use, like, willpower uh, to fight back, he used, like, Eric Rowan's distraction from the cage to his advantage as well. So it was like... Kind of him using his brains as in addition to, you know, guts. So I thought it was like a really good creative superhero fight that took advantage of like this device that, you know, is is uh, unique to Eric Rowan. And you needed Eric Rowan here and you couldn't have placed Luke Gallows, for instance, into a role like this. And, you know, it only makes me wonder if like this match might have been better had we not seen last week's match where Eric Rowan took that loss. Like if Eric Rowan lost here for the first time, would it have been better? I don't know. I'm not sure. Ultimately, it probably doesn't make that much of a difference to the end result, which I think was a great showcase for Aleister Black's character. Yeah, in the end, I mean, Black gets the win, and then they announced the match with uh, AJ Styles for next week. So, um, yeah, I, I thought Black, you know, they're they're trying to clearly go in a bit of a different direction with him. He is staggering up the ramp, and Sarah Schreiber goes in for an exclusive and asks, how did you manage... To overcome the odds. Rage, Sarah. Unbridled rage. And next week, my rage will be AJ Styles' burden. In case anyone thinks I'm being too dark or too cryptic, next week, AJ Styles, we fight. This should, was, I, should I take this one personally? This is a direct shot at you, John. <laughs> Absolutely. Or at the least, anyone who has... I think felt the same about Aleister Black's promos as you and I, and I would say that would be a lot of people. So clearly it's a criticism he's, and, and his writers are very aware of, and I thought this was a great way to fix that those criticisms. Getting him to deliver his message via interview, I think works so much better here than his contrived sit-cross-legged, sit-down solo soliloquy. Not only like would it be incredibly awkward to have a match like that and then sit down cross-legged in the ring to t- to talk in your riddle, whatever like poem you're you're reading, um, this just felt more real and it it worked out way better for Aleister Black. From there, we went to uh, they plugged Tyson Fury's win over Deontay Wilder from Saturday night, and then into Charlie's sit-down interview with Drew McIntyre, the dude who's just counting down until WrestleMania. That's his angle right now. He's literally the countdown guy. That's it. That yeah. really is what he's doing. Like he might as well start the count from the number of days till WrestleMania. So he's kind of on ice and they're just trying to come up with different ways to build him up while it's still a long time till Mania. So they do the sit down. He explains he doesn't care who he faces at WrestleMania whether it be Brock or Ricochet. And he says, well, let's go back 13 years. And, well, we go back just over 10 to September of 2009. This was when Drew McIntyre was proclaimed by Vince McMahon as a future champion. And he says, you want to know how many world titles I've won since then? And most people are counting 
at minimum one for NXT because uh, I guess Impact is uh, questionable. Uh, none. He's not won any world titles. Yeah, I didn't even realize he he had won the NXT belt, um, even though they showed it afterwards. So They did show it. It's just they don't acknowledge it as a world title, I guess. See, that's interesting because Charlotte, when she counts her reigns, I, think, I believe she does count the NXT title. It's very much, um, I guess, for the convenience of said storyline that it's a title to count or don't count. But this was just very strange to. Uh, yeah, whatever. Whatever. They highlight 3MB. He says, I lost my passion and I was a liability. So I got fired. And he didn't think he would come back to WWE. He was angry and bitter with a chip on his shoulder. And he blamed himself. But then he was determined to get back here. And he didn't want to be remembered as the idiot playing air guitar, which somewhere in an alternate universe, Hiroshi Tanahashi is saying you could do a lot worse. <laughs> you could be a, you could reach your potential as a main guy while still playing air guitar. But that's the lesson sure. of Hiroshi Tanahashi. He returned in NXT and they mentioned him winning the title. And then he says, he says he, got brought up to Raw in April of 2008 and mentions it was four years to the day of when he was released. Now, I know I'm a little bit of a stickler when it comes to dates and stuff. When he said, let's go back 13 years, I can excuse that one because he did join WWE in 2007, and I think that's what he was, you know, messing up. But this one, okay, April 2018, he was released in June of 2014. It was not four years to the day. It wasn't even four years to the month. Interesting. Okay. Um, is there any room for debate there? Could he have Please, received please present papers? your best case. Could he, he was brought received? up in April, and he was fired in June of 2014. So, All right. I don't know. I trust um, you, I think, more, more than I trust the problem. Well, we've, we've learned he, he's good at, at, at counting down. But from three, that's kind of his range. Okay, that's the extent of his of his counting abilities. <laughs> so he, he left as a boy, returned as a man, and he was determined to eliminate Brock Lesnar, and he did so. As they showed the highlights at the Rumble and at WrestleMania, he will fulfill his destiny uh, that Vince McMahon proclaimed he would uh, set out to do back in two thousand nine. Uh, this is the story they did need to tell. I'm glad they used this week to get a lot of the backstory for Drew McIntyre because there's a lot there. Um, he's, I, I think the biggest thing going for Drew is that he is able to take a lot of um, WWE speak and deliver it in a very uh, digestible way that has worked for him thus far. Yeah, yeah. Just imagine what he could do if he didn't have that handicap. Well, unfortunately he does, and he has to work around that because he is in the... Uh, Drew McIntyre, top babyface going into WrestleMania spot, which can be very tough for yes, yes. guys. Yeah, uh, I thought this was a fantastic sit-down interview, despite, I think, the counting challenges. Um, I, I, You know, I, I think why I liked this so much was because we had just seen that Lacey Evans-Renee sit-down interview on SmackDown, and I right. couldn't help but compare the two. Unlike Lacey Evans, this was not Drew seemingly playing any sort of character. He was not doing shtick here. You know, he wasn't like a Claymore guy holding a sword or I don't know. He wasn't even doing his countdown stuff. He was just Drew McIntyre, whatever his real name is. Uh, yeah, Galloway, is that his real name? Whatever. Yes. 
Drew Galloway, like, talking about his real life. And also, unlike Lacey, like, who in the inter- interview, I thought, was trying to convince us that, like, calling people nasties was somehow meant as a term of endearment and that we were mistaken. I mean, that's inexcusable for a baby face. That's the type of backpedaling that I think makes you more of a heel. Instead, Drew took responsibility for his own prior shortcomings, made no excuses for others misinterpreting his fault, his fault was completely honest that he had been a failure, like shown in 3MB, but look where he is now. So I, I like this so much more than what we saw on Friday. I thought I thought this worked for um for what it was. It's you know the usual. It's very hard for WWE in these kinds of of settings to kind of um stand out. But I, I think Drew overall, it's been it's been very effective so far. Um, at a time where he's kind of just um, for lack of a better term, counting down until his program really uh takes flight. Maybe that's how this segment could have started. He did he does the countdown for like the. For the camera slate. rolling? Yeah. I guess we wouldn't have seen it. Yeah. So. Three, two, one. All right. Our truth appears in the ring, and he says it's the winter premiere of Truth TV, and he brings out Bobby Lashley and Lana. They have no interest in being on his stupid talk show. Rusev Day chants, but they totally ignore them. Uh, Rusev is in this match on Thursday, but there has been no, no Rusev in the lead-up to this on Thursday. Yeah, and obviously nothing from Andrade either, but that's understandable. But yeah, right. like Rusev, you would imagine would would have been around. Um, I can't really suggest why that is, um, other than perhaps just a deliberate attempt to make you forget about him. And despite their attempts, this audience still chants Rusev Day anytime Lana and Lashley are out there. So it tells you that he was probably the biggest ingredient of that feud, and is try as hard as as they might. Um, this audience still wants Rusev. R-Truth says that he's really big. He would rather interview him than fight him and asks Bobby if he's seen Sonic the Hedgehog. And Lashley attacks him. Truth came back. He did his Cena spots, including the five-knuckle shuffle. The AA gets blocked and then spear by Lashley for the win in a minute 54. This was short. Quick and offensive little TV match. Like Truth always manages to engage the crowd, so... I guess they just they needed something for the. Have you have you noticed how like none of the wrestlers talk like name the actual trophy? You know they just like AJ at least just called it the trophy. Once I win the trophy, you know they don't. Nobody says the two wake trophy. I think Phillips uh, did mention it. The announcers actually, mention it as yeah, they read the board, right. but none of the, none of the wrestlers have said that. Well, maybe. Um... I don't know. I don't know what the uh, if if no one's doing it, that makes you think that that's uh, on purpose. Yeah, we'll see after they win it. You know, whoever wins it. Uh, throughout the night, they had been airing you no know, highlight videos of Becky Lynch and Shayna Baszler leading towards this contract signing for the women's elimination chamber match. I should specify the Raw women's elimination chamber match because it looks like we could be getting multiples. Um. So the women come out for the contract signing minus Shayna Baszler and Jerry Lawler is hosting this and he had a hell of a time uh, just putting words together to host this segment. So Asuka, imagine this, Asuka steals the mic from Jerry Lawler, one of the great talkers of all time for Asuka to try and save this segment. She was speaking better English than him at times. She, she calls out Shayna. And Lawler then interprets what Asuka was saying, saying, well, Shane is either late or a no-show. And they take turns signing. 
Liv Morgan signs the contract and then puts it in front of Ruby Riot. And then Baszler's music plays, and she enters through the crowd, stares down the other five, uh, stops on Natalia, and then they have a face-off, and Lawler just gets the hell out of there. This is after Baszler has signed. And then they all start fighting. Asuka shoves Natalia down, and Asuka gets into Baszler's face, telling her to bite me. Natalia then goes after Asuka. Liv dives after Ruby, which prompts Sarah Logan to get in between them. And Baszler is just left alone. And Becky comes out, goes after Baszler, and they get separated. The crowd is very heated here to see them fight. Uh, Becky breaks through, and the place goes nuts as they re-engage. And then finally they do a uh, a, a second pull-apart. Yeah, I would say like prior to Shayna showing up, I thought this was a pretty dead segment. You know, between like Lawler to like just just a, a real nothing going on, none of these people being real contenders, I I I I didn't have many high hopes. But once Shayna got in there and they got physical, I thought the pull apart was really good because it it in a very short amount of uh, I think uh, I don't know uh, interaction, they managed to build up like the associations of the participants in this match really well. I had negative interest as a result, like at the beginning of this. But like after the segment, I had things to look forward to. They previewed potential interactions from Shane and Baszler versus Natalia. They also, you know, talked about the prior relationship these two have had. Uh, Shane and Baszler versus Asuka. Uh, you know, there's some, and then beyond that, there's some tease of obviously Ruby Ride and Liv Morgan. But with Sarah Logan caught in between trying to stop the two playing Peacekeeper, I was a little disappointed that we didn't at least get to hear some sort of like verbiage at all from sarah logan this entire time because i think her addition to this match makes it that much more interesting given you know that you have the entire riot squad as a part of it and where where is sarah logan in it all so i at least look forward to seeing how they will handle those three in the match itself and then i thought you had a really hot pull apart between Shayna and becky um there's one uh update here that a pw insider has that apparently on raw tonight they showed the graphic for the uh to gauntlet match and Rusev was still in the graphic, but in the voiceover, they mentioned Rey Mysterio taking his place. So it oh, really it could be a case. And PW Insider um, is reporting that it has to do with Rusev yet to lock himself into a new contract. And that appears to be the issue. So it may, in fact, be Rey Mysterio taking his place on Thursday. Well, that makes sense then why they would not feature him. At all on the show. Yeah. So apparently, um, yeah, the WWE has a tweet up and they're listing Rey Mysterio and not Rusev. So it's Lashley, uh, R-Truth, Andrade, Eric Rowan, AJ, and Rey Mysterio um, listed here. So that, that sounds like that's the new match and Rusev would be out. Cool. Anyway. Okay. Interesting. Moving on from that, um, the Street Profits come out and... Montez Ford cuts a promo that this Thursday we have a raw tag team opportunity match at Super Showdown. What in the hell does that mean? Um, they then referred to Rollins as the Monday Night Pariah and his partner, Murph the Smurf. Sadly, some people started to chant this. Yeah, Murph the Smurf. Ford then yells, it's all about the titles this Thursday, so... Um, 
Anyway, this was just quite a wordy uh, description at the beginning of this promo. And then we were going to get singles matches involving um, the partners here. Murphy and Angela Dawkins went all of uh, 69 seconds when uh, Dawkins hit a sky high and then Rollins broke it up for the DQ. And Ford says that Dawkins hit Murphy so hard last week, it removed his first name. Very funny. Um, That was about the reaction the crowd provided that line. I thought it was good. Well, he then calls out Seth and our big match with Seth Rollins and Montez Ford. They got 15 minutes here, uh, several commercial breaks. Uh, Ford did a big topic on hero dive onto both Seth and Murphy and fires up shaking the ropes. After the break, Dawkins and Murphy both get ejected. There's a buckle bomb to Ford. Then he gets power bombed into the barricade on the floor. And then Seth goes for yet another buckle bomb. And this one gets countered with the head scissors by Ford. Fires back on Seth. He blocks the pedigree. And there's a DDT by Ford. Only gets a two count. Sunset bomb by Ford. Sends Seth off the top. And then Ford climbs to the top. Misses with the splash. Allowing Seth to recover and hit the stomp. And pin Montez Ford. 15 minutes. 13 seconds. And... Clear to see that the idea here was to really shine a light on Montez Ford and letting him go 15 minutes with Seth Rollins. Certainly, yeah. I mean, I thought this was, first of all, I mean, in comparison to poor Angelo Dawkins getting uh, 15 seconds of a match before it was thrown out. I mean, really, this was just a showcase, I think, uh, for a future main eventer as a singles guy in Montez Ford giving him like this Ferrari to drive essentially in a match with Seth Rollins. And I thought he did well, clearly like, you know, um, I don't know if he's like as seasoned as a singles in ring performer yet. He's got like a great vertical leap going for him. But like, I think the main thing that certainly makes him stand out the most is his charisma, which is apparent even off of the microphone, his facial expressions are awesome. And I think he's just got the type of personality that like makes you want to watch and cheer for him. And that's something that, that, you know, is, is, worth way more than like 10 great in-ring performers. And that's Frog Splash is just spectacular, especially when shot from a low angle. So um, I think that, you know, it's giving him an opportunity like this and clearly shows that they have big plans for him in the future. I think he has a ton of potential. He still has a ways to go, but certainly this kind of booking would indicate that they do see that long-term with Montez Ford. And this was sort of a, um, a showcase to, uh, give you um, a look into the future uh, with Montez Ford, who I would imagine they see as kind of the, the breakout star of that of that group. I mean, can we count out Angelo Dawkins? I mean, man, come on. There's there's something for him. He could surprise us. He could. It's possible. But yeah. I would say right now that if they're putting all their chips on one guy. He is the Sean, the most Sean of like the, if there could be a, a, a bigger Sean. Yeah. Yes. We'll, uh, We'll find out. Um, I'm trying to. I I, I watched uh, Ford versus Ferrari on the weekend, and I was really struggling. Oh my god! I didn't. I didn't even realize that. I was really trying to come up with like um, a, a name that we could uh, with Ford versus uh, something. It's a tough one, actually. It, it's a hard one. There's yeah. no. Uh, who could we use as Ferrari? I mean, it would be. Uh, um, not not. There's no. There's no Ferrari. T- Tina Ferrari. Yeah. Yeah. Well, moving on. <laughs> Beth Phoenix will be on Raw next week in Brooklyn. Work on that. They did a feature on Rhea Ripley, just uh, advertised the match for WrestleMania. 
And then the main event was Randy Orton, Kevin Owens. Uh, we have a cannonball on the floor by Owens. He's in control at the beginning, and he sets up for his swanton senton. When Rollins, Murphy, and AOP come out, they distract Owens, and it allows Orton to get the advantage. We come back. The Viking Raiders and Street Profits got involved. They fought off the heels on the floor, and Owens then attacked Orton, hit the senton. Rollins comes back and gets knocked off the apron. This allows Orton to again get the heat on Owens. Rollins grabs Steen's leg, Owens' leg, and leads to a draping DDT, and the referee fast counts, and Orton just stares at the referee. The announcers are confused, and Rollins is confused. Everybody's confused. I thought this was, it was done, like, really well in the sense that you're watching this. Like, I had to rewind this because I think the draping DDT, it caught everyone off, and you're thinking... Like, was someone hurt? Was some, was this, what was going on here? Because Orton's look was the exact look he would have given if something got fucked up with the finish. I I thought like everyone did very well here, in particular Rollins and um, Orton. The referee then goes to the floor and he's checking on Rollins and Rollins is just saying, I'm okay, I'm okay. So you're thinking like, did Rollins get hurt in something here? They've got eight minutes left in the show. And then Rollins passes in two chairs to Randy, and Owens is going for the concerto, and the referee, uh, Owens gets up, grabs one of the chairs, and the referee grabs the chair away from Owens. So you see what the deal is here. And they boo the ref. Owens goes after the referee, and Orton and Rollins are out of there, and he reveals that the referee is wearing a Monday night Messiah shirt underneath as Rollins is on the stage, he claims to know nothing. The crowd's going nuts for Owens. He stuns the ref, brings out a table, and ends the show by powerbombing the referee, who's uh, independent referee uh, Jake Clemens, by the way, is his name. Uh, got powerbombed through the table for a great pop, and the show goes off the air, and they were going crazy here for Owens. And, I mean, it was a way out of the match. It was pretty unique, and... By the end of it, like this crowd got that table spot, and th- they were pretty happy. You know, I, I I almost feel bad if you're somebody who only listens to these reviews and doesn't watch it, because I feel like the emotions, you know, that any any wrestling fan might have been uh, might have felt while watching this are really like worth I think living through, because this was fucking awesome. I thought like the shock of like not knowing, wondering if you saw a botch. You know, like it was the type of feeling that I think you would have had if somebody screwed something up and the excitement you feel when you could point a finger and say like, oh, my God, that referee is fucked up. And look at the face Randy Orton gave him. That referee is going to get fired and he's going to get chewed out backstage by Vince and Randy Orton and all this other stuff. It was like that type of excitement. They played it up so well along those lines to make you feel like that, that something was going on and you didn't know what. The announcers played it great. The Orton played it great. Rollins played it great. The referee played it great. Everybody like did a fucking amazing job. How does Randy Orton win with a draping DDT? That that must have been a botch, right? But it just it I thought I thought the reveal was great. The way they kind of dragged out the moment was great. It was just like and, and by the end, they got out of the match. They got uh they built heat for Rollins versus Owens and it built up the reaction that much greater in the live in the live setting. I thought it was incredibly creative. It, it was certainly out there. Yeah, it was. Um, 
it was different. It was and you know by the end of it, I, I thought it was like everyone played the role pretty pretty well here. That this you know ended up being just a, a heel referee employed by uh, Seth Rollins, and yeah, we'll see if this referee gets a uh, gets a callback or not. He was uh, I don't know if he ended up doing the show on Sunday or not, but he was scheduled to do the Smash Wrestling show in Toronto on Sunday. Wow, cool. I mean, that, um, guy, that guy will kind of live in infamy as, like, the Winnipeg uh, screwjob referee. Like, it's really hard to, I would say, like, create, I think, a, an, un- an unpredictable, unpredictable, unpredictable finish with, like, a surprise referee these days. You know, unless you have, like, a twin or if you're, like, Nick Patrick. I think, like, these types of, like, surprises are tough to do, but I, th- I, thought, I thought it worked out really well. And so I'm, like, I'm just incredibly impressed that, you know, they managed to surprise us. It's a very unconventional finish, but that's what we need. Conventional was what we got last week. Another fucking six man between like AOP and Rollins against like, like I don't, I'm done with the, the boring house show shit. I want stuff that's like fresh and creative. And obviously you can go overboard with that too. I didn't think this was it. I thought this hit the, the like a perfect note. This was a uh, overall, I thought, you know, number one, it was a really fantastic crowd. And I, I think that really helped the show overall. I thought you got. Oh, some really good stuff on this show overall. Like the Orton stuff continues to kind of drive the show. He's really doing fantastic in this role. Um, I, I enjoyed the Umberto Carrillo, Angel Garza match a lot. Uh, Alistair Black, they're, they're they're bringing along and I think going in a good direction with with him and AJ in the coming weeks. I guess the contract signing, I don't think really... You know, the the body of that segment really didn't hit its mark, but the key stuff with Becky and Shayna Baszler, I, I thought that stuff worked well by the end of it. So I have to look at that sh- that segment as a positive overall. I really like this edition of Raw. Like, I thought everything I thought was headed in the right direction. I mean, Orton, Owens, I thought a brilliant move to pair those two together. Uh, I think what you're doing with Aleister Black is really clicking right now, too. Finally, um, you know, uh, the stuff with... I'm with you. I think the contract signing didn't start off great, but the physical physical stuff by the end, the stuff that actually you know needed to hit hit. The the Drew McIntyre interview was good, and the main event was. I love the finish. Like I th- I thought everything actually worked on this show. It was like it was really it was pulled off really well. Like it yeah. was like the look on Rollins' face and it was Hort- very Horton. risky, you know, to do a finish yes. like that. Yes, definitely. But they, you know, they let Kevin Owens stand tall by the end of it, and it kind of furthers this the story with Rollins. And um, you know, in the end, the, the fans got sent home home happy with with that table spot, and you continue things going with with Owens and Rollins uh, in whatever form or fashion. But it looks like those two have to be part of you know wh- whatever this leads to at WrestleMania. It's like those two are kind of the central figures. Yes. So that was that was raw from Monday night. Let us go on to the forum and see what everybody had to uh, say about the show. We start off with tonight's poll, and on a scale of one to ten, this one gets a five point two five. So not a strong pass, but uh, does pass regardless. Paul from New Jersey writes: Running shows in place in is WWE 
Running shows in places that WWE hasn't been in some time is paying dividends. Vancouver, Everett, and Winnipeg have all had hot crowds who want to be loud and enjoy the show. Orton tying in Edge and the last time Raw emanated from Winnipeg was quite a nice touch. Garza and Carrillo is easily TV match of the year so far in WWE. Tremendous from start to finish. Tonight's portrayal of Drew Drew McIntyre is what I've been waiting for. Forget the goofy jokes and sign pointing. This was everything it needed to be for Drew. Grandpa Jerry and the ladies was fun. While the cuck angle didn't make me question my life tonight, am I having some sort of fever dream, or was this an excellent edition of Raw? He gives it an 8.5. We go to MJ from NJ, who says this was a shockingly good Raw. I really love the first segment. Kudos to them if they were planning Orton using that callback to 15 years ago, and Owens was a perfect face for the confrontation in Canada. Drew's interview was solid. I want them to keep hammering that story home. Question. After the reception Goldberg received on Friday, wouldn't it be a big opportunity missed to not trot him out on Fox on the road to WrestleMania? Wouldn't it be the first time they booked themselves into a corner with The Fiend, but it just feels like they need to go with a mainstream recognized star for Mania's build. I agree. Um, I, I think that, you know, Goldberg, um, you know, he hasn't uh, put their numbers like through the roof or anything for these appearances. Like SmackDown is overall, it's, it's it's doing like very good for Friday nights. Like they're typically like the number one network show um, for Friday nights. It's you know they're getting their two point four two point five million viewers every Friday. Um, I don't know if Goldberg's really going to build on that number or not, but I think that there certainly seems to be uh, a lot in the direction of uh, of Goldberg be, being involved here in this in this build up to WrestleMania. Yeah, I think they they understand that. I think um I think he's barely scratched the surface of of what he can do on this run and I think he adds a lot to I would say a roster especially on SmackDown that at this point mm, feels like it's lacking in star power. So uh and really a WrestleMania card that can feel like it's kind of lacking in star power. So I I I think they'll be keeping him around. I I threw out a poll today and 70% of the people prefer Goldberg and Reigns over Reigns and The Fiend for WrestleMania. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we're talking about WrestleMania, we're talking about dream matches, you know? Goldberg and, versus and I, Roman And I think Reigns. that Goldberg and Reigns can have some really good promo segments together, like two different, like Goldberg in this incarnation where he's just like the, the badass Goldberg and Reigns, who's kind of like very much like that character of today and... I much prefer like just, you know, these like a serious build for your championship match rather than risking Reigns in all of these Fiend segments that I just I don't know if Reigns comes out of that unscathed or not. It's spear versus spear, like the story writes itself, you know, and and they're two like faces of their respective companies at a certain time. It's like franchise versus franchise match at a far distance from, you know, something like a Rock versus Cena, but it has that WrestleMania feel that I certainly don't think Fiend versus Roman Reigns does. It is a very different match between the two. Like Reigns and Fiend, for all you want to say, they can do 18 minutes. Um Goldberg and Reigns, I think it would be a stretch to be going past 10 at that point. But it but, could be a spectacular like 8, you know. Yeah, but I'm I'm just worried though if you do that is WrestleMania going to be too short? <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm sure they'll find something. Uh, let's move on here to our next one. And <laughs> Carl, sorry, is it is it you or me? Okay, Carl. 
Hopefully the third hour does considerably a lot better this week. Owens and Orton was a big enough match to keep me invested until the end. How far do you think they'll allow Randy in terms of using physicality towards Beth next week? Surely we see Christian step in sooner or later, I hope. They certainly are conveying to us that Angel Garza is a very good-looking bloke. What do you guys think? What do you guys think? Who, is who the do best? we think is the best-looking on this show? Okay, okay. This is not my error here. Uh, Charlie Caruso being weak at the knees for him certainly thinks so about Angel Garza. Uh, lastly, when do you think we see Cain Velasquez show up again? I was thinking with the congestion going into Mania, you rightly would hold off. But if we are back into the pay-per-view business, it would certainly see him being a fairly big name to consider putting on the Mania card, a tag with Ray, perhaps. I have not heard anything in regards to Cain Velasquez for WrestleMania. So, um, I don't know. He seems to be someone that I, I don't know if that would really work out uh, for this year's Mania. Best looking on the show. Um, trying to think here. No one's, no one's really my type. Um, on Raw, Alex from Portland. <laughs> you don't have to answer, John. Just a question: With the Saudi Arabia show taking place this week, are you more or less excited to watch SmackDown, considering who might, who we might not see on the show? Um, we might not see on the show. Am I excited? Um, no, not really. There's still a lot of people that are going to be staying behind. So I don't really feel like this will feel that different of a SmackDown. Certainly not. You're not going to get an NXT takeover type of SmackDown. No, when you look at it, like the SmackDown talent, I mean, I, I, I'd be stunned if they had problems again uh, getting everybody back. But there's always that possibility. Um, you've got the New Day, Ms. Morrison, Reigns, Corbin, The Fiend, and Bailey and Naomi. That's your SmackDown talent. So it's... It's not like in past where they had, you know, that big tag gauntlet match where you were pretty much bringing over, you know, 80% of your roster. That's not the case this time. It's a much smaller crew that's going over there. So I think... Um, Are they still going to try to fly back? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. They're yeah, okay. They're going to plan to be back right. for, for Boston the next night. Right. But in the event that they can't make it, there's still plenty of people left. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really not expecting much different on SmackDown this week. Um, but they they should have that contingency, just knowing mm-hmm. what happened last time, to you know be prepared for the worst um, if there is some some kind of travel issue. All right, next up we have. West. Sorry, I lost my place here. Um, West from Winnipeg. West from Winnipeg, who attended the show live overall. Really fun show to attend. As usual for Winnipeg events, the crowd was hot all night, but seemed to lose a little steam in the third hour. Not sure how it came across on TV. Biggest pops were for Brock and Becky. The finish to the Owens-Orton match was a little confusing live, as most of the crowd didn't see what happened with the referee. After the broadcast, Rollins and his guys came out and attacked Owens, leading to Drew McIntyre coming out for the save and challenging Rollins to a match. He also came... He also claimed that Rollins had tiny balls and got a loud tiny balls chant going with the eight-year-old kids in front of me chanting the loudest. Mm. McIntyre then beat Rollins in a quick match. For main event, Shelton Benjamin beat No Way Jose and Riddick Moss defended the 24-7 title, beating Cedric Alexander. All right. So there you go. Awesome. Shelton's new deal. He, he won this week. Congratulations. Congratulations to him. Okay, we go to finally Liz from Winnipeg, who was at the show tonight as well, and he she agrees with Wes's remarks. She says the biggest dud segment of the night was Lana and Lashley. Poor R-Truth got sucked into this nonsense. 
He's better off in the 24-7 mix, which isn't saying much. Crowd was super nuts for Brock, McIntyre, Becky, and KO. Oh, and right. we've got one more little uh, note from Traverse Cummings, who was also at the show live. And uh, he says, I'm not sure. Okay, so he says, right from the start, the crowd was hot. I guess that's what happens when you don't get raw for 15 years. Watching it live never felt like a drag, it, like it does watching on TV. It was a solid show. It never got boring. Must have been pretty close to a sellout. He says, the crowd tried to get a Y2J chant going, but it died quick. Having Alistair Black limp around backstage, but still feel the need to get in his coffin for his entrance was a little silly. The dark match as well, uh, he she reiterates, was Rollins Drew, which Drew won with a Claymore countdown. All right. Uh, well, thank you, everybody, for your feedback. Uh, one other news item here. New Japan has released the brackets for the New Japan Cup. So here are the opening round matches that we've got. It starts on March 4th, and they've announced for that show... Togi Makabe versus Jeff Cobb. So Cobb's going to do the tournament. Tomohiro Ishii versus Toa Hanare. Chase Owens versus Toriyano. And Colt Cabana versus Bad Luck Fale, which... Uh, Chaos is own. Colt Cabana. Oh, my gosh. That, that was one of my favorite Amazing. stories so far this year. Uh, then on March 7th, it's Kazuchika Okada versus Jay White. So they're doing that rematch. Minoru Suzuki versus Yuji Nagata. Cool. Right. Juice Robinson versus Alex Coughlin and David Finley versus Tangaloa. Uh, March 8th, it's Tanahashi versus Taichi. Kota Ibushi versus Zack Sabre Jr. in the opening round. This is really interesting. A lot of these like second rounds could be between tag team partners. You have like, fin- like Finley and Robinson potentially meeting each other in the next round. You also have Tanahashi and Ibushi potentially meeting each other as well. Taichi and Zack Sabre could each other that that means you're I, I can't imagine well i guess it's possible tai chi could do the upset but there's a pretty good chance you're gonna get tanahashi and zach saber or tanahashi and abushi in the second round the teasers will be interesting um continuing on the march 8th show uh mikey nichols is back taking on sonata and then will osprey against shingo takagi in the opening round amazing oh christ that's wow. amazing that was one of the best matches of 2019 and then March 9th is the final day of the opening round matches. Uh, Tenzon versus Yoshihashi, Carl Fredericks versus Kenta, Satoshi Kojima versus Evil, and Hiroki Goto versus Yujiro. So there's one more like round this year, right? Like it feels um, bigger. Uh, it's uh, it's 32 guys. Okay, so it's the same. Yeah, it's uh. What was last year? Last year was was thirty. I just feel like it? I feel like the brackets are way bigger this year, but I could be wrong. Um, well, yeah, it's um, who, who's your who do you think uh, stands out? Who makes sense to to headline against? We presume this will be against Naito at the Sakura Genesis show at, at the end. Anyone that stands out for you? Yeah, at the moment. Um, hmm, let me think about this. I mean, half, like three quarters of these people, I think you can immediately write off. But the, the, the actual contenders, I mean, you can always go Ibushi. Okada, Okada and White would definitely be players on the one side of the bracket. Uh, beyond yeah. that. But um, the rematches that we, we just saw, both of them, right? So it could be Ibushi, it could be uh, Tanahashi, potentially. Um, who else could it be? Naito and Tanahashi is definitely a match you could do at some point this year, whether it's at the end of March or you save that for for another show. Tanahashi is certainly viable. Like you can always go to that one. 
I think it's too early for them to go to a Will Ospreay title title challenge. Could it be Zach? It could be Zach. I mean, he won a few years ago. He won this yeah. whole thing. That was really his star making tournament. Could it be Ishii? Uh, um, could it be Cole Cabana? I don't think it'll be Cole Cabana. Um, yeah, maybe not. But I could see. Uh, I mean, that's another one you bring up. It could. It could be Cabana and Toriano in the second round. Suzuki. I think you. I wonder. I wonder if they would push him that hard. I think Suzuki. Man, you could get Suzuki and Okada in that second round. That's uh, that's never a dull match. Could be Goto. Those two. I can't see Goto headlining. Yeah. Maybe um, I would say the short list. You're looking at Okada. Jay White still has that win. That you could go with Jay White. I would. I would. I would say Okada or White are going to the final on that left bracket. Didn't Naito um, just beat him, though? Naito beat Jay White on the first night, but then yeah. White beat Abushi on the second night, which you would think was done for oh, you're right. the idea that they will go back to that at some point. Okay. Yeah. Um, I just. I, I mean, yeah. it's not the biggest match. I don't think Naito and Jay White is going to um, wow a lot of people, but... I mean, you're you're either getting Okada or White eliminated in the first round, so that's that's pretty noteworthy for that uh, that second day of the tournament on the seventh. Hey, very quickly, I watched the Manabu Nakanishi retirement. Oh yeah, what'd you think? Oh, so awesome, so great! I thought the match was was fantastic. Like Nakanishi exact- was like the star of the match. They oh. built everything around Nakanishi. It was just to me, it's like if you are a fan of a guy and it's he's at the end of his career. That's the kind of send off you want to see. It's like everyone worked overtime to make Nakanishi look amazing. The crowd was so emotional for it. Yeah. Nakanishi, you could tell it was just a really emotional event for him. And it was just like such a classy way to let a guy go off into the sunset. And I don't think we get enough of that in pro wrestling because retirements are not taken seriously. And I mean, compare that. People don't commit to retirement all the time in pro wrestling. No. And I think it's. You know, compare, I would so much rather have an end like that than, you know, what happened with Kurt Angle, which was just unfortunate last year for a myriad of reasons. Well, but, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, anyway. but but really, like, Nakanishi is, like, he's pretty broken down himself. He's had yeah. neck issues, not to the extent Kurt has, but, I mean, he's another guy. Like, he can't do a whole lot. He's pretty immobile. And uh-huh. they were they were very smart in how they used his, his final couple of months but and he kind of everything he had he put into that eight man tag. A guy did a superplex. Oh, it was awesome. It, it it was a fantastic last day at work for a long tenured employee. And I I feel like anytime you have one of these situations, like they're just so like ripe with like gripping real emotion for you to like enhance in the body of a profes- professional wrestling match. And I thought they did that. Like everybody. In that match, all all seven other people were there to have a fantastic match in honor of this guy, and everybody like looked great. You know, Kojima looked great, Nagata looked great. Um, of course, you know all the current guys looked awesome, and it was like it built up to like this man. The spot where like he he attacks Nagata and uses Nagata as like you know a weapon, like just I thought I thought like there were so many like fun little interactions within the thing, and it just felt like a big going away party for a guy that many people I'm sure like couldn't have asked for like a better way to like be sent off. It was great. And plus all the, all the, um, the flowers at the end as well were really, 
fun to watch too. Um, one other final news item that I just um, I got here before we uh, get off. Uh, the Undertaker will be on the show on Thursday in Saudi Arabia. Doing what? Probably something with AJ. So just an appearance, but not a match. An appearance, yeah. Uh, I I don't believe he'll be uh, wrestling, um, just appearing. Okay, cool. Is that officially announced somewhere or no? No, no. That's a that's this. a John Pollock tidbit. Got it here. Wonderful. Did you still want to talk about? Yeah, let's network? just quickly. Uh, we we've gone long here, but let's chat a, a little bit um, uh, about the WWE Network. And I kind of just wanted to look at because I was writing about it today. Great I, job, John. You did. Um, just like I think compiling a bunch of thoughts about like this whole experiment, I think we can call it the WWE network over six years. Well, I guess, you know, using that, that word experiment six years in like this, you know, greatly changed the WWE's business model in 2014. As you look at like the good, the bad, um, some of your overall impressions of what these six years of this network era have done for the company. Well, I mean, I'll just say, like, you know, this type of experiment was certainly, like, a big risk. Um, It was certainly a ballsy move. But, I mean, like, Vince McMahon is a gambler. Like, WrestleMania 1 was a gamble. And, you know, that one worked out really well for him. And I'm sure sometimes, like, the XFL was a gamble. This was just as big of a gamble. And Vince doesn't... Uh, doesn't always play small. So I think I, I, I commend, you know, anytime somebody is willing to take risk and do something as bold as putting all of your very successful, high-earning pay-per-views into one streaming platform with the goal of reaching three to four million people over however many years. Clearly, they fell short of that goal. And I don't think we'd be having... Inter- Vince himself wouldn't be entertaining these discussions if everything was perfect and we did have... Or at least, you know, we were on track to making... Uh, 4 million uh, subscribers, or by this point, perhaps they had even earmarked higher than that. So I think falling short, this is perhaps not as sustainable. But I mean, who else could have predicted, though, the landscape being what it is right now and that they would be receiving potential offers for as high as they are right now? So I, I can't completely fault them for taking that risk at that time. I'm sure to them it made a lot of sense. But now, clearly, it, it probably doesn't. And... I think changing now is a good good move too. They they got into the streaming market certainly ahead of the curve before all of the major players were launching their own services. I mean, at, at the time of 2014, yes, you had your Netflix uh, Fight Pass had just launched uh, in January that year, but it was you know it was certainly your list of streaming services you had was probably a lot smaller than it is today and i think we're starting to see that it's going to be several major major big time players and then it's going to be everybody else and is there enough of that piece of the pie for the wwe networks of the world that this is sustainable i think at the time it was a risk worth taking i think that you could certainly look back and at the very least question the decision to put wrestlemania on the network the mm-hmm. devil's the the devil's advocate to that argument is the network doesn't get off to anywhere near the kind of traction if WrestleMania wasn't part of it. And even though that first subscriber number was not all that great when they put out that first number after the uh, WrestleMania 30, it wasn't a huge success right out of the gate, but it was still, you know, WrestleMania has driven that number every year. That is the 
that's where you're going to get the most casual interest in the network in the hopes that you're going to lure people in with the free trial and then turn them into paid subscribers. So I think they felt we need the most, um, the biggest carrot of all to, to dangle in front of people. And that is WrestleMania. Uh, the rest of the pay-per-views, I think like they were, they were dying on traditional pay-per-view. And I don't think you could have kept that, that method for much longer. And those, those had to move, but you know, other interesting questions are what, like certainly the WWE to me is a, just a different makeup today. If the network doesn't exist, NXT is not the success that it's turned into for the company and embracing like a whole different style that they were very negative on to a certain time, much more limited viewpoint of who they would be hiring. And this is even post Daniel Bryan, post CM Punk. Like I think certain people would get in the door, but once NXT proved to be a vehicle that you could sell out the Barclays Center with, which without that network they they would never have been the the priority that they turned into and that to me changed a lot of things and it brought in talent that you never would have expected to be WWE wrestlers it has led to you know 300 people now that are under contract in some form or fashion it's had to me that's like the very the big impact has been the WWE widening their horizon of who they will hire and just being aggressive after all talent and it's forced other companies to have to adapt to that. That's a good point. Very good point. I think maybe you can also interpret that as, you know, uh, perhaps the network helping um, the WWE finally acknowledge the spending power of your hardcore fan base who prefer a style of wrestling similar to NXT. Um, And it's certainly by the time I think we're talking right now, feels like a lot of the network content is geared towards that type of fan who prefers great in-ring content as well as, you know, serious documentary style storytelling. If you remember when the network started, it was a lot of like, you know, things like Swerved, like the countdown stuff, like Corey Graves tattoo show, like stuff that ultimately I don't think saw too much of a shelf life because number one, it was expensive to produce. Number two, it just didn't make a difference. Not, you know, unlike uh, NXT, unlike a takeover. Um, So I, I feel like that sort of market research was, Probably quite influential. There's no NXT UK. I mean, without, I mean, it took them three years to get onto TV in the UK that there's like that. They wouldn't have had a platform to hold that talent, to produce that product. So, I mean, all the talk of global localization, I mean, the, um, to me, like the network is like our landing spot. If we can't find a home for so much of this content and, you know, from a pure fan standpoint, like the content produced on the network, it's been, you know, in terms of um, different styles uh, to to get new talent over. I think that's been a big positive. It's been a big spotlight on the production staff in WWE, which to me is incredible. And you, you've gotten to see a lot of performers um, be presented in, in a different light with this kind of um, content that I think people want to see more of. Um, in particular on on Raw, on SmackDown, as ways to take that kind of tone on the network and and put it onto television. Yeah, that's sort of autonomy that I think, you know, uh, video producers get when they're a part of something like NXT or just like if you're strictly network. Um, I would say for me is something that at least maintains WWE afloat in terms of the conversation of like who, you know, is the WWE up to date with current video storytelling production techniques and current trends and i would say very much yes 
But if you're just watching Raw and the way they produce, I think, you know, um, backstage segments, it still very, it feels very much behind. And I think that's, you know, perhaps that's kind of part of the disappointing part of it is that they do such great work outside of the body of the show that I just wish somehow some of that stuff would cross over and completely take over the way they tell their stories actually on Raw and SmackDown. How about as as you look at kind of any opportunities you think that, like, do you think for, for the most part, the right amount of emphasis has been placed on the network? Like it pretty much is like, this is your destination for pay-per-views and, and there's constantly new content that they're producing uh, in terms of just being a, a network you need to have 12 months a year. Like how, how do you think that they have gone to make this feel like an essential product if you're whether you be a hardcore or even like a a a casual wwe consumer yeah i mean the word essential i think is is certainly more up for debate now than ever you know like when we're talking six years ago you didn't really have like a ton of other streaming services to pay for now we're not even talking just netflix but like even within professional wrestling I feel like a lot of fans either, you know, might will probably pay for WWE Network as well as, you know, uh, a New Japan World and who knows what else, like maybe a fight, fight TV, like occasional pay-per-view once in a while. So you're already competing with a whole lot of other people. So what the topic of whether or not WWE Network is still essential today, I think for most people comes down to how much you really want to see the pay-per-views and how much you want to see a takeover. Because um, I think everything else, especially now that NXT is off, is pretty much like not worth that much. I mean, I don't want to say it's worthless, but it's not enticing people to pay $10, $12 a month in Canada just for those things. The archives certainly like don't mean that much. You know, I'm sure some people really like love the perceived value of it, but it's not, it's not a big draw. Um, well, what, what would you do personally? Like, let, let's kind of, you're kind of a bad person to ask because like there's certain, like you have certain, um, obligations that others don't about going back to watch stuff but i mean someone you know that follows it similar to to your level that if the pay-per-views go um let's just say takeovers are still on the network are you are you holding on to this service or is this something that you could see being expendable to you know people that follow the wwe product but how often how often is a takeover taking place uh you know the current cycle like five a year then I would say no. Yeah. Like if I'm, if it's like $10 a month for something I'll use like every two weeks, a little more, sorry, every two, a little more than two months. doesn't seem like it's a great thing to hold on to, you know? Um, I feel like they're going to have to come up with a gimmick that is at least a bit more frequent, that feels a bit more must see, whether that means increasing the amount of takeovers or, you know, uh, keeping their current trend of like doing Raw, SmackDown, B-level shows and keeping that on, on the network. That's a, a really interesting point is that if they sell off the pay-per-views, do, is that the pressure on NXT that your takeovers have to go monthly? Which has been something that I'm sure has been a subject broached that, you know, they, you know, when we look at the WWE's MO, it has been more content, more content and takeover to me is one of those, like that's a destination uh, event that I I think there'd be a lot of pressure on NXT to peak every four weeks instead of every three months. For sure. Certainly. 
Now, like, okay, let's, you know, let's, let's say the WWE has like, for lack of a better word, kind of given up on like this goal of like, you know, getting, even getting 1.5 subscribers or at least like, where are they right now? 1.8, 1.7. Okay. They've given up on 2 million. Okay. They're, they're done with it. Let's say they want to still make this a sustainable business, maybe on the level of like how UFC treats fight pass. What? I guess it's hard to say without knowing like the actual figures, but like, can you see a version of the WWE network as simply just as supplementary material that, you know, doesn't completely kill their storytelling yet, you know, for the real hardcore fans, um, it offers like low budget or like cheap to produce content that they would find valuable. And your goal at that point maybe would just be to retain a million subscribers. Uh, Just the number I pulled it up here at the, the last quarter, it was, uh, just under 1.4 million paid subscribers. Right. Okay. So let's say your goal of growing that is kind of gone and you just want to like maintain your hardcore base just to make this a sustainable business. You know, could you see that happening? Yes. I think that at worst, like, yes, it, the removal of the pay-per-views, I, I don't know like what that content would be that could swoop in and replace that where there wouldn't be some loss. I think you're definitely going to see a decline. I do think that you could also greatly reduce the amount of upkeep that you have to spend to like the idea of having um, just that, that 24 seven player like that's, that's got live programming running. Like all this stuff is like expensive to maintain that. I think you could turn this into much more of just a video on demand service that they're, is less money being put into it because it's it is servicing more of your diehard fan base that there will be some people that with all of that content are still going to want this mixed in with its um takeover events whatever other live shows that they start to carry evolve and progress and uh, other events that they might be more enticed to do um i, I could certainly see that there are going to be there would be a healthy amount that would still hold on to this. Yeah. Yeah. As long as I think you present interesting ideas, interesting concepts, like, um, remember you, you do have, um, NXT UK that, I mean, you could almost imagine NXT and NXT UK swapping months of doing takeover specials. Yeah, actually. Yeah. That you're probably right before increasing takeover, you probably increase the frequency of NXT UK because God knows they probably need that. I mean, with NXT UK, I think that would actually boost their profile instead of, you know, tuning in like for two big shows a year when, you know, it's every other month, it might make the TV a a bit more appointment viewing to keep up with it, knowing that there's big shows, you're going to catch the big show and it's only two months between shows instead of, you know, four or five. Could you see them lowering the cost of the network so that it's, you know, if they even take away content, it still feels so cheap, relatively cheap enough that... You would keep it just for the convenience. My gut says no, that the, I don't think they would lower the cost. I also think that the idea of introducing your tiered system is like this would be the worst time possible if there's no pay-per-views involved. I don't know how you could justify any kind of – I don't care what content you're throwing in addition to. If you're removing any of the pay-per-views, I think that's that's a no-go for a lot of people, I would think. Mm. Yeah. So – um, any other thoughts just, um, randomly as well, you know, being in Canada where we get it as an actual linear channel, um, does that change your, um, uh, just your viewing habits? Do you find that you 
uh, watch it at all in, in your spare time. And because I really like that option that it is an actual channel here as opposed to only streaming it. Well, I've actually cut the cord so I stream it. Like I just okay. stream it on Chromecast as I feel like the growing number of people continue are like are really starting to adopt, you know, personally, it doesn't make wouldn't make a big difference to me, but does it make it it does make a difference for you. It sounds like. Well, maybe it's because I'm on Rogers and sometimes there's like buffering issues. But if I had lasers that were dealing with my signal, maybe that would be uh, a non-argument. It's the future, John. That's that's clearly the conclusion of this show is lasers will direct us into the future. I'm already in it. Uh, five years from now, is the WWE Network uh, existing in some form or fashion? And is it greatly different than the current iteration? Five years. Okay, five years is a long time. Like, if you yep. said, you know, like, three years, I would probably say yes. Two for sure. Because, like, you don't just lose 1.4 million people. Like, even if they did nothing, like, even if they didn't update anything at all, I feel like a good chunk of those people would still be around. I do, too. I, th- I think that there's... People just forget. I think there's a healthy amount of, of hardcores that... It's just that that library and, and having yep. access to... Every pay-per-view this company has ever produced, that that will be uh, something a lot of fans want, unless I'm overestimating. No, I don't think you are. I mean, they have this archive that's just sitting there that's not doing anything. And the only upkeep you really have is just like machines, right? And technology, which I'm, you know, I'm sure is a lot. But still, like you, I think to many people, just having the archive is worth probably, you know, it's like uh, having a Spotify you know, it's probably worth something. If you're somebody who watches wrestling every single night just to put something on at your convenience, it's probably worth something to a, a good chunk of people. So I would say in five years, it's not like they're just going to shelve that archive and, or give it away for free. So I think in five years, yeah, you'll see some iteration of the network, even if it's a bare bones version. Yeah, and it'll be interesting if they have that philosophy of this being more of a stripped down version Um what resources do they put into this? Do we see a live show with the bump every week? Do we see as many uh, 24 documentaries? And like, th- like this stuff is not cheap at all to be producing. Like it's high quality content that they're shooting and editing and producing. Um, how much of that um, do, do they put into uh, the network? Yeah, certainly. I mean, do we still like um, see what the main draws are for the network? Does Dave still put that up? He still does like the the top ten most watched uh, things every week, and it's usually it's always you know whether it's um, pay per views or takeovers and you know new shows they release like the latest. I'm sure these ruthless aggressions are are drivers for people. It's usually it's it's all the new stuff. It's never right. um, old stuff unless it's you know something that's on the player, for instance, that gets a a big focus on or something. But it, it's all like yeah, the new stuff they produce. Okay. Yeah. So I think, you know, you're, you'll still continue to see like documentaries. You'll still see wrestling on the, like probably get added to it, but um, there's a lot of wrestling that's out there that and I'm sure like WWE wouldn't have to pay a ton to get it. Just depends on maybe the production quality. perhaps. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's something like you could not just get rid of the network. You could strip it down. You could make it a different version, but I think just after this level of investment, yeah, it would be silly. Just I just think to to do something where you present your so much of your library to your public and then take it away that just makes no sense to me unless you got such a great deal that you uh, sold you know your your library which um, think about I just 
Think about all the work that goes into editing those ECW songs off of those tapes <laughs> or ta- like replacing uh, Howard Finkel's voice over like another prior um, song that they no longer have the rights to. That It would be ashamed if all that work was lost. Now, here's an inter- interesting one is that whoever – if they strike a deal with any of these big streaming giants and – they're 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 first of all they must be of the belief WWE can drive viewership if they came and said we want to buy the digital rights to WrestleMania to for every WrestleMania to put on our service for um for our consumers i mean is WWE open to you know selling parts of their library or at least licensing them out i would have to think yes cuz i don't think the like if it's just what you're suggesting, just WrestleManias, I don't think that really cannibalizes or that really competes with the network, you know, because how many people are just getting the network to only watch WrestleMania? Yeah, it's just, you know, I, I listened to that, that call with Vince McMahon and it sounds like, you know, if if the money's right, they will make a deal for any of this stuff. I don't see him having like any kind of sentimental value over over anything, right right down to the company as a whole. I think if the right deal came his way, I think he would be open to selling this company. So I, I don't see that Ooh. being, um, so that would be a different question. Like let's say if Disney bought the WWE, then maybe we wouldn't see the WWE network in five years. Well, totally. Yeah. If there was, if it was just all um, stripped the biggest part, because let's be honest, if you wanted to absorb it into an ESPN plus and they're not putting all those hours onto ESPN plus, they're taking what they would perceive to be the most valuable, um, yeah, that that would be a whole nother can of worms if there was a, a an actual sale of the company, and then w- what becomes of it at that point? What what does the WWE become at, at that point? What is the future going to look like in five years? I can't imagine. Oh, who knows? It's all we will be in space. Uh, one thing I can guarantee is that you'll still be waiting for uh, Rogers. I'll be I'll be done with them. Hopefully by then, Doug will shoot you a message in five years. Via cable technology, I don't think so. I won't get it. It'll be, it'll be lost in transmission. All right, we're gonna sign off. Thank you, everybody. This was a fun edition of the show. We hope you enjoyed. Uh, Wayne and I will be back Tuesday night. It's Ask Away. We'll be going through the the February mailbag. So all of your questions. Um, if you haven't had enough of us, more to come this week. So go check out postwrestling.com. And again, tickets for our post wrestling live in Tampa show available at postwrestling.com slash live. Good night.